What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Don't you wish to be free of your pain? Tears. The long light begins. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, what's going on? I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 296. This time around, you are joined by the always inspiring, fun, and incredibly talented actor, Scout Taylor Compton, and gifted filmmaker, composer, and visual artist, Rich Ragsdale. At time of release, their new film, The Long Night, is available in select theaters and digital Friday, February 4th. Hang out as we talk about cults, snakes, historic houses, and more. Break down some of Scout's most intense performances of her career and the cinematic secrets Rich Ragsdale uses to craft a stunning and unsettling experience. We also clear up sequel rumors to their first collaboration, 2017's Ghost House, and Scout's upcoming directorial debut, Possess, an all-new episode of The Brew Crew now playing. Let's just get out of here. This whole thing is weird. I don't know what it is about this house. I have to stay. You Lord Octana. We, the guardians of the long night, are your humble servants. Instruct us. They were in my head. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Alright, joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two monumentally inspirational creators. She is our favorite actor and an amazing friend. She's appeared on screen in close to a hundred projects. One of the many things you can learn just by looking through her past work is that she draws in and inspires the world's most inventive creators. She's delivered unforgettable performances in the biggest shows in TV history, including the Emmy-winning Gilmore Girls, Without a Trace, CSI, Grey's Anatomy, the five-time award-winning Charmed, Nashville, and more. Her feature film work is exceptional and always daring 
and fun. There's a tangible spirit of adventure in every role she chooses. The tween classic Sleepover, portraying the lead in Rob Zombie's legendary Halloween films that held the Labor Day box office record for 14 years. She shared the screen with Helen Mirren and Joe Pesci, was part of the incredible cast of the enigmatic Floria Sigismondi's The Runaways with Michael Shannon, Kristen Stewart, and Dakota Fanning. And to this day, is consistently finding opportunities to collaborate with incredible independent filmmakers who are changing the game, because that is the very thing that defines her spirit. She lives to experience and take it all in with a beautiful and compelling curiosity that rubs off onto anyone who is around her. That's why she's been recognized with multiple awards and is one of the biggest draws in the convention circuit and on her amazing brand new podcast she hosts with fellow actor and icon Danielle Harris. Talk scary to me. Also here with us, a musician, writer, director, and artist. As a multi-award winning composer, he has worked on the music for TV classics like the Emmy-nominated King of Queens, According to Jim, Dag, Will and Grace, Reba, and more. Feature film scores including Eight-Legged Freaks and Sundance winner Big River Man. He has crafted music videos for your favorite bands, Chevelle, P.O.D., Theory of a Dead Man, The Sword, 311, and others. And as an award-winning writer-director of feature films with Danny Trejo's The Curse of El Charo and 2017's Ghost House. His work is laced with stunning cinematography, occult imagery, and an unmistakable sense of dread augmented through a concoction of sound and light that is unique to only him. Added to all this, he's an exceptional visual artist. A quick visit to his Instagram page and the creations inspired by everything from EC Comics to the golden age of Marvel are simply not to be missed. Together, their new movie, The Long Night, is out February 4th. We welcome its director, Rich Ragsdale, and its star, Scout Taylor Compton. Yeah! Okay, can I just take you everywhere with me? You know I'm available. You know I'm available, you guys. Well, first of all, congrats on the movie. The movie is fucking badass. And I want to start. I know we've, Scout, we've talked to you about horror movies that kind of got it started for you and your your penchant for chasing the darkness. And I want to hear from Rich here as far as what were the things that crawled into your twisted head uh, when your love of horror started? What were the early experiences you remember having with the genre? I, I've just always loved monsters and horror movies and scary comic books and stuff ever since I was a little kid. I don't I don't know what happened. I think maybe I didn't get enough oxygen when I was born or something. <laughs> you know, just, like, something something uh, wrong with me. I just like all the dark stuff. And it just is, uh, you know, so making horror movies is just the logical extension of like what I've been interested in my whole life. So I'm sure that there's some sort of Freudian analysis that would uh, explain it, but I, I don't, uh, I don't question. I just let it go. You know, just yeah. Go Do you remember yeah. a particular experience with a film or anything like that, 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 that was your earliest? Yeah, I, I have uh, I, actually, I mean, I remember the first time a horror film like really affected me was like, I had this book, I bought this book. Uh, I mean, I was, I was in like elementary school, maybe like third grade. And I bought this book at Kmart that was like, a coffee table book of all the old horror movies. And I used to just thumb through it and look at all the pictures. And there was one in there in particular, which was the incredible shrinking man, the Jack Arnold movie from 1950s. Yeah. And in the fifties and and they had this guy like fighting a spider with a needle. And uh, so I saw that it was coming on television and, you know, when I was a little kid, we didn't have cable or anything. So it was like, if I missed the movie, I missed the movie, you know? And this kid called and he wanted me to spend the night at his house and I didn't want to, but my mom made me. So I, I told him at school, I was like, look, I don't care. As long as I get to watch this movie, 
So we go to his house. He lives out in the middle of the, you know, like out in the middle of nowhere. We get there. It's like getting close to, you know, about an hour till movie time. Uh, that's all I care about is watching this movie with a guy fighting the spider with a big needle. And, um, and his, he, he asked his mom and she's like, no, you guys can't watch TV, go outside and play. So I was oh. devastated. So he was like, I have an idea. We're like little kids. And he, he, we walk like must have been a mile down this old dirt road in Tennessee to this old folks home, which was the most depressing old folks home you've ever seen. It was like cinder block. Oh you go inside, had like, like cracking William floors. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, just these old people. <laughs> like it was almost like a, it was like if you if it was in a movie, you'd think it was too much, you know. And they were just sitting in there watching TV. And this kid's name was Ed. And we went in there and Ed goes, puts on this like little cute kid voice and he goes, Can we watch TV? And they're like, Oh, let little, little Eddie watch the shows. And so, so we flip it over to the, the movie and we're sitting like six inches away from the screen and we're watching this movie. And it's, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it's about a guy that's, you know, s- slowly shrinking and he's fighting the whole time and he's kind of an angry guy and he shrinks and he shrinks and he shrinks and he ends up, everybody thinks he's dead. They think the cat ate him and he's trapped in his basement and he's so small that he ends up fighting a, a spider with a needle for a crumb and then he, he eventually becomes so small he can walk out of the mesh screen in the window and he walks into the front yard of the house and he looks up at the sky and he just comes to terms with the fact that he's going to shrink out of existence right and it was just this like movie about mortality and that you're gonna die and that we don't go on for forever and and I'm in this old folks home surrounded by people that look like they're just about to die. Oh my God. And I'm right? having my like, first existential crisis. <laughs> and my head is just exploded. And then the movie ends. And then my buddy Eddie's like, uh, all right, let's go. Yeah. That is crazy. You know, it, what? what's really interesting about horror movies too, is that, you know, I challenge anyone really to find, an event that surrounds an experience seeing a horror film is second to none. I can't think of an event surrounding a romantic comedy I've seen or anything like that. It's sci-fi and horror, right? Go along with events that you recall in your life. And on that note, Scout, have you had any eventized horror experiences like that as a viewer in your formative years growing up? Um, I mean, I mean, honestly, nothing like that. Rich, what the That's fuck? Wild, right? <laughs> that was my first existential crisis. You know? what, what? I don't understand why that isn't why why that isn't in a movie that you've done before, or why that's not a start of a movie. I'm saving it. <laughs> that is so epic, man. Um, I mean, you know, I, I I've I've talked to you a, a few times, and I you know, growing up in the mortuary world, obviously there was a lot of shit that I've encountered that has poked me a bit to, you know, the, the horror realm of things. Um, I feel like any, any one of my childhood stories will, would, would be that. Maybe not as gold as riches over here. Jesus. Well, growing up in a mortuary is, yeah, that's pretty, it's a pretty unique experience. I I remember some, like you'd hang out in there and play amongst all that stuff. I remember stories like that. Right. Oh yeah. I, you know, I I just did another interview not too like uh, an hour ago that I was talking about and I didn't realize how, how different it is. I, I had, had Willie, who was my coffin, who was kind of like my fort that I, I would collect everything. And, and, you know, you lift the bottom of the coffin and, you know, there would be like my, my posters and like all my knickknacks that I didn't want anybody to touch. And, you know, that was like my, my prized possession as, as kids now, 
you know, have their tree houses. Sure. Hey, shit, I can know? understand that. Yeah. You, you take with what, what's around you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to, you know, make do with what I had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are the elements that you think of performing particularly in the genre are the ones that ignite you? Things from Gilmore Girls to Sleepover to CSI and then more intense stuff like Rob Zombie's Halloween or this film, for instance, that takes you to physical places and in, in, uh, places in your head that are pretty extreme. What do you find that acting and performing in the horror genre in particular pulls out of you more than any other genre, per se? You know... It was kind of, it's kind of like a, a therapy, man. It, it like that, that's what it comes down to. Like there's, there's so much built up shit that I have from, from whatever, if it's, it's, if it's um, childhood stuff to like what I'm dealing with now, it's like there, there's no l- level um, with horror movies, you know, that you have like to, to release. I mean, it's like the person like going out the top of the mountain to, to fucking scream at the top of their lungs. You know, it's like, you feel like you need to release all of this in, in like the, like quiet, like no one can see you like lose your shit. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's kind of what this genre, particularly this acting that you're able to do, you're, you're able to push that envelope and, and release that fucking shit. And it can look and sound however, however you want it to sound. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy. Like every time, especially with Rich's movies, you know, there, there's this thing that I do with my voice that I, I haven't done in any other, in any other film. And it's like this painful thing that I'm able to pull out. But, you know, I, I think it's just, it's just like that, that release. And, yeah, and it's catharsis, right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely, 100%. Now, in those moments, is that something in particular when you're talking about like that yell in particular, where you go for Rich's movies? What do you think it is that brings you there? Is there something he's saying in his directing style? Is there something about the worlds he builds that tend to draw that out of you? You know, Rich Rich, Rich says it well. I'm, I'm a very unique type of actress, Rich. And it's like I, I literally <laughs> can be cracking a joke. And, and giving a punchline and, and giggling. And then in a second, I can scream and, and do crazy shit and then come back to being happy-go-lucky. I, I don't know what it is, that, but there's not necessarily anything that I, I, I pull from myself. And I know a lot of people like really want to know the, like how I do it. And <laughs> I just, right. there's just There's nothing that... I can't explain it. It's, it's like... It's like a, a second personality that I have. Sure. I was talking, Spider like, was talking to me the other day about this very thing. When really? You were, yeah, you did the Bleeder's Digest episode with him, right? The pills or whatever. Uh, yes, yes, Yeah, yes. play like a werewolf, basically. And he said the same exact thing. He's like, you know, one second, she's freaking out and screaming and having this fit. And then, was that okay? Is that all right? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I really don't. I wish I had an answer. I, 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 wish, I wish it was like, yeah, man, I'm a method actor and I go to this dark, dark place. But like, I just don't, I don't know what it is. I just think it's something that is within me that I'm able, that, that is a tool that I'm able to pull out. And I have a, a complete understanding of it and I trust it and I, I just go with it. On that note, Rich, I mean, you've had the opportunity to work with Scout before in Ghost House, for instance. What is it about Scout 
that makes her the number one choice for creators looking to do something daring and different in your eyes? Be kind, Rich. Be kind. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, because Scout's kind of the best. I mean, it's just like, I mean, that's really kind of the answer. Is like she, um, she requires very little direction. She sort of intuitively understands a lot of these characters. And Scout, I mean, we all know Scout and she's a, a great person and we all love her. And, and this comes through in her character. I mean, this comes through in her screen presence. I mean, she's just, you know, uh, uh, it's important to have uh, your protagonist be relatable and sort of likable or lovable or whatever. And Scout mm-hmm. has all that. But then she has this ability to like a light switch to turn on the the physical stuff, you know, the screaming. And yeah, like to her point, I mean, it's like we have outtakes <clears throat> where she's like, you know, hey, dancing, pointing yeah. at the camera, and it's like, action. <laughs> but, oh, let's go get something to eat. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, she, she's, a, she's a unique talent. So that's, that's why. Yeah. Just, let's just say it's not something that I pull out on my first date that I'm like, hey, right. just by the way, <laughs> I, ha- I can like do this party trick. <laughs> You might, you might want to see it one day, but uh, maybe, maybe you, you don't want to marry me. I don't know. <laughs> Rich, we want to get into uh, into the film hardcore in a second, but I wanted to start it off with this interesting path into the film because you did compose the score for the film as well. And you are a hell of a composer. And just before we get into this, just wanted to know. Curious if your interest in film and music kind of coincided was the music of film, your gateway into music or was music first and vice versa? How did that work? One thing is actually, I did not score this movie. This is the first time I didn't score my own. Oh, wow. I swore you, your name was on credits for some music at the end of the film. I did do music. There's a couple of pieces of music at the very end uh, of the film is is mine. And because I wanted to have some of my music in the film, but it was just such a slog finishing this and in COVID and I just, you know, I, I, I called a friend of mine, uh, Sherry Chung, who's an amazing composer, and uh, she agreed to do it. I mean, she was like, she does a lot of TV and her shows were kind of on hold because of COVID and all that. And it was just great timing. And so she really kind of came through for me uh, on this. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I have this kind of like very aggressive avant-garde kind of orchestral style that I like. And she has a more traditional kind of Hollywood sound. And I actually think that like the collaboration between she and I working on this film made something really interesting. That's maybe better than something that either one of us would have done on our own. Oh, certainly. Certainly. So, well, so she's great. To, you know. Again, to rewind that though, your interest in music. Yeah. Touch base yeah. on that. And if it was film, that was the gateway to that. Well, I mean, I just have always been sensitive to music. I've always loved music and I played in a lot of bands and stuff when I was a kid in around Nashville. And, uh, but I'm, I'm less of a performer. I'm more of like, that's why I like directing is I like kind of putting things together. I'm not really worried about being on stage or being in front of the camera. So it's like, but I don't know. I I feel like drawing, you know, making films, uh, making music, it all kind of comes from the same place in your brain. It's just sort of different disciplines. And, you know, I've had this, I was actually, I I drew since I was, I could hold a pencil. So it was like, uh, I think those 
sort of film is the sort of logical extension of all that because it's the visual combined with sound and in and music and um it, you know, it's just all the things kind of come together. I'm not sure if that's a, a good answer. But no, it's, for it's sure. It's your answer. That's your life. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely got interested in film music when I was, when I went to music school and uh, I mean, I'd always liked film music, but um, that's when I decided to make it my path. And then, you know, that got me into the entertainment industry. And then, uh, you know, that kind of led to me directing. You are a, a director who is very cognizant of the use of sound in your films. Mm-hmm. And you notice the music and the polarity of that music and how it's used. As soon as this film starts, I love that things happen like the, the score is put through or a song is put through Jack's AirPods. Yeah. That's coming through at the beginning that we, that we, you, you in, integrate it in the way of that, that way. What was your concept for the story as far as the story that you wanted the sound to kind of create, not just score, but the sound design itself with this, this movie in particular is very unique. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's like, as, as soon as we get near the property, which is hopefully this isn't like a spoiler, but you know, the, the grace, uh, scouts character, grace and, and Nolan's character, Jack are going to this kind of plantation old building out in the middle of nowhere in the South I just wanted as soon as we got there just to make the sound of the world just a little off, you know, and, and it's it not like too ominous initially, but, you know, strange, you know, and so th- that there's always kind of like something under the surface that's a little off kilter. Mm-hmm. And then as the movie goes, we expand that. So it becomes a little more uneasy as we go, you know, for the viewer, hopefully, you yeah. know, psychologically, <clears throat> you know, because, you know. It, all the music and the sound design are the things that come in under the radar. You know, right. we, if it's done right, we don't really notice it. You know, it, it, it's interesting because, like with with your work, Rich. I mean, that that's the first thing I notice is always the sound, the music, the sound. It, it's almost like it's it's form legs and become another person in the movie. <laughs> no, I, I shit you not. Like that's what it it it, it, it seems like because it's so strong. And it's so like you can tell that it's every every portion of it was chose for a purpose. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you notice, Scout, that all of that stuff, because you know, seeing it in a final cut for the first time Dude. with sound and music, what do you notice that it elevates from what your experience was like on set? You know, I mean, obviously it makes it a completely different film, yeah. like a completely different film. And, and I knew that because I've worked with with Rich before and, I, and, I've, and I've, I've seen how important, you know, music is to him and, and the way that a movie sounds is to him. And I remember I saw a rough cut of the film and it was very it was a completely different tone, a completely different color of film. And then when I saw it with all of the tribal ass tones and like the, it, it just elevated it and it made it a, com- a bizarre trip, man. Like yeah. seriously, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I witnessing uh, right now from the sound to the visuals? Yeah, I was just like, yeah. I was taken on a trip. <laughs> well, the interesting thing Rich said too about the sound design and music and how it was kind of created is this underlying sense of dread is that the way you play Grace is there's this underlying question that 
she has about herself. She's on this quest to even find herself. So that's underlying. She's got a mystery that she's already dealing with. Mm -hmm. And it requires also a ton of physicality and intensity on your part. When you get to those points that require that level of intensity and physicality, are you aware of anything happening during those moments? Are you aware of trying to keep yourself safe to restrain yourself if needed to be, if it goes a little too far, or is it just about completely surrendering to whatever you're feeling at that moment? And how does rich help in those instances? Yeah, it's, it's that trust that rich and I have, you know, like he was saying, he knows what I'll do and I know what he'll do. You know, I know what he wants. (laughs) It's like, it's just that understanding that we have, you know, he, he, the only thing that we can do is brace the crew. Like I mean, honestly, it's like, what do you want rich? And he's like, you know, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then he'll let the crew know. I'll let Nolan know because he's never fucking seen it before. And I'll be like, hey, man, so you're about to witness something that's probably not right. that you're used to seeing and just letting you know what's happening. And then it'll happen. And then kind of from then on, the crew is aware. Like, okay, when it says <laughs> Grace is feeling this, Scout's going to feel this. We get it, you know? Um, it's, it is just that trust. But the only thing that I had an an issue with was, was being barefoot in those fucking snake invested woods, man, swamp life and the alligators everywhere. I was like, so I'm, I I remember when it clicked, I was like, so rich, you do know I go outside at some point and I'm going to be barefoot (laughs) through the rest of the movie. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. As long as you are aware of that. Yeah. So okay, dealing yeah, with Yeah, look at him. Look at him. Yeah. The Boo Crew will be right back. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. No! No! Below the crypt lies the vault of horror. A treasure chest of the macabre. Filled with madness, voodoo, vampires, torture, and terror. All the things that make life worth leaving. The Vault of Horror from Cinerama Releasing. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. The Vault of Horror. It has all the things that make life worth leaving. Dealing with the snakes and and things of that nature was that an illusion that was achieved or did you actually have to deal with any of that stuff oh yeah there there is a eric our sweetest most gentle animal wrangler was on set like this blonde hippie gentle giant and he's just like here's the snake he's a really nice gentle snake you know but i've, I've worked with like those animals before and, and i know rich has too and you know, I, I have such a fascination with them and, and I really dig those, you know, like 
those type of creatures. So it didn't bother me, but they were all real, man. (sighs) Going up bodies. Yeah, they are all real. That's amazing. (laughs) Leo, you had a question, dude. Jump in, man. Yeah, let's talk about the filming location of the movie, the Middleburg Plantation in South Carolina. It's on this gray plot of land with a pond with seemingly long driveways and walkways. What is the history of the plantation? Like, what were your experiences like uh, shooting there? Well, uh, a little bit of trivia is that it's actually the oldest uh, standing wooden structure in South Carolina. Oh, wow. It 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 predates the country. And, uh, and there's there's one section of the movie. I don't want to give anything away, but we have, we linger on these shots of Scout watching something horrible happening out a window. And there's a cracked window pane. And the reason it's cracked is because in the during the Revolutionary War, a British general had come and scratched his name. On no the, on way. The oh, my God. And, 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 and it, when he did that, because they were going to use the house as a hospital for British uh, soldiers who were wounded uh, and. Uh, so that was why the house didn't get burned down because it so the pain is that somebody has cracked it at some point but they haven't they won't replace it because it's uh but so i used it because it looks so cool mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it was great i mean it's weird because it's you know it's a it's a plantation so you know there's definitely a dark history there at some point and, and you feel it when you're there i mean there's like it's you're very isolated it's a very moody place and sure. there's like out escape scout was saying there's alligators and snakes all around and you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's really a, a, a cool and weird place and a beautiful place too. But you know, at night it's pretty creepy. And you got to shoot and you had the whole run of the place indoor and out. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the producers actually owned the property. And oh, wow. I, you know, that was, I, I actually took this movie over where it was like, there, there've been a couple of directors before me and uh, I got a call and they were like, do you want to come out to South Carolina and make a movie? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> and I showed up and they had like three different versions of the script and you know the script, the crew had been waiting around for like a month to get started and so I had them they let me hire a friend of mine to rewrite the script and I just walked around the property and cuz in the script it didn't the in the different ver- versions of the scripts that I had they didn't really use the whole property and I was just like no we have this great place with all these little cubbies and just use everything maximize this place talk a bit a little bit about your involvement so uh, robert shep and mark young who i think scott you worked with before on mm-hmm. feral right yeah mm-hmm. so how did you get kind of pulled into the the whole experience rich yeah well i mean it began i think as mark's project and uh i've only met mark once or twice but he's a he's a super nice guy and uh but then something happened i i don't know but th- that it didn't end up working out and they sure. brought somebody else out and that certainly really didn't work out apparently. So, you know, they were kind of desperate. And so that's why they called me. Cause you know, uh, you know, when you're desperate, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, your fucking doll just moved behind you. Oh yeah. He does that. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. <laughs> Did you not see that? His hand just went. I missed it. I missed it. <laughs> Oh, yes. Jesus. oh my god his hand what's is the story out? with the doll rich uh, i i collect antique ventriloquist dummies wow now that's not a haunted thing to collect at all is it <laughs> uh, you need to see it's like it's like rich i'm like rich you need to see his house trevor i'm like you need to see his house like it's crazy oh my uh, god yeah yeah but yeah, so seems- rob i i i i asked them they hired uh rob shep who's a friend of ours uh, to uh kind of rewrite the script and, and, uh, you know, 
make it work for what I wanted to do and also in, introduce a bunch of new elements. And they hired my DP and my costume designer, my DP, uh, same guy at Gigi who did Ghost House and Flora. Oh, wow. I worked with on a couple other things. It was my costume designer and uh, just, and, and I needed a certain, I didn't ask for much, you know, and then I got scout. Um, and, yeah. I get it. I get a call yeah. when I'm in, I'm in, I'm in London at a horror con. And I get a call like, hey, I got this movie that shoots in like three days, three, four days. So I had yeah. to fly straight from the UK to South Carolina just to. It oh was my quick. God, was, was that quick? Really? It was so quick. It was so fast. Wow. I was like, yeah, man, of course I'm going to do this. Let's go. And what about yeah, Nolan and uh, Nolan's involvement? Was that a simultaneous thing or had he been tied to it before? No. Uh, oh yeah uh, yeah no uh casting director that we work with a lot she recommended him and and uh he he just he agreed to do it and so we hired him uh, it's crazy because nolan and i had worked together on a movie called triple dog way back when and we didn't really become close on the set <laughs> so when i realized that it was him i was like holy shit i've done a movie with him but i don't really know him but nolan and i grew so close after filming this movie together yeah, it was like the it just all happened so fast, but we were yeah. kind of game. The inclusion of uh, Deborah and uh, Jeff Fahey, getting them involved that that's really really cool. Was that yeah. a casting director thing? Was that something that you had in mind? What was the story behind that? Well, uh, Deborah was a recommendation from a casting director, and we were already shooting at that point. Okay, and uh, yeah, and actually, her character in the original script was a man. But, oh, interesting. That was one of Rob's uh, changes, which I think made a huge difference. But anyway, with, with no spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but Deborah, I loved her. I mean, I loved that idea because I, I loved the film Crash, the David Cronenberg oh, yeah. movie. Incredible. And she was like, I love that movie so much. And so I was just like, oh, you think she'll do it? And uh, <laughs> she, she did it. Yeah. And then uh, Jeff Fahey, I think, actually was uh, one of the producers knew him. And they'd done a couple films with him and they were like, you know, also Jeff Fahey's like a big fan of Jeff Fahey is kind of like, Oh, you think he'll do it? Cool. <laughs> oh, he's terrific. It was so cool yeah. to see him. Yeah. I've yeah. seen him in a long time. It's so cool. Yeah. And then the, the, the only other actor in the film who I, I maybe love just more than scout is my brother. Who, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> who, who does he play? Who, who is he? He's, he's Wade, the creepy gas station. Oh, no that was the role he was born to play. He got into that role. For yeah, sure. yeah, no. And we, we gave him big George Romero glasses. Yeah. So he's like redneck George Romero. You know, so that's funny. That was great. Dude, go, going back to Jeff, Jeff was like such a trooper, man. He, he you could tell what a polished actor he was. He like as soon as he came in, it was like it was he knew exactly what he was doing how how many takes he wanted to do it was like a, a fast train going and it just yeah. kept going i mean he was amazing to watch honestly oh that dialogue with him and nolan too is fucking hilarious yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was so good yeah and he's like we had these like eight page days with him we only had him for a couple of days and so we had to shoot these like just on a ridiculous amount of material and I was worried we weren't going to make our days, but he works with it. He, he has this like rapid fire way. It's like, as soon as the takes done, he's like, he's like, yeah, one more. Come on right away. We're right away. You know, it's just like, there's no, there's no resting when he's around. So it's like, 
and we we finished early. I was worried we weren't going to make our day, and because of his energy, we actually ended up. I feel like that was the only early. day that we finished on time. Maybe I need to take that lesson and be like, no, 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 let's go, let's go, no, 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 we're good, we're good, let's go, let's go. <laughs> Leo, you had a question here. You're waiting to ask. What was it, man? Oh, you're you're on mute, dude. Yep. There Sorry, you are. Just uh, following up on the uh, plantation. Uh, did either of you experience anything unusual or paranormal during production? Is that place haunted? I don't know if I would say paranormal. I mean, it was definitely, I mean, a lot of the crew were living on the set, you, you know, the camera department and stuff. Along yeah, the it's everywhere you look. It's, yeah, just yeah, covered in so, gear and uh, stuff. I would hear stories the next day of, of crazy things that happened, but I don't, they weren't paranormal. They were just, you know, people blowing off steam. Breaking shit. Right. Like, well, what about the what about the paranormal elements, right? And the the occult yeah. mythology that that this film kind of talks about. Is there any truth to what we're seeing in the mythology and lore that it explores? Well, when we did, you know, they let me like kind of redesign all of that stuff. And so, like, my idea was to kind of uh, create a sort of pantheistic thing where we we pull from a bunch of different. Uh, um, practices and sure. religions and cults and stuff. So, you know, there's some pagan stuff. There's actually some Native American stuff. Like there's a, you know, we at one point referenced something called Uctena, which is a this sort of regional uh, myth that's, you know, regional to the South. And then, you know, some of the designs, like the guys with the big pointy hats were based on like Eastern European penitents and stuff. So I didn't want it to be any one thing. I wanted it to be kind of this sort of like how they do in like star Wars where they kind of pull from all these different cultures yeah. to create something that's foreign, but also familiar. And so that was the idea was to pull from all of these different sources by, by using real world things, maybe keeps it somewhat grounded, but also because it's a big jumble, it's also maybe something that's slightly different. I don't yeah. know. That was the hope. So did you design the sigil and the different masks and looks of all the guys? Did you draw that shit out yourself? I did do some drawings, you know, uh, some of it was just, well, we didn't have a ton of time to, to redesign everything. So like my costume designer came out, she was making the robes and all the costumes and all that. And then we had a, a, um, a woman here in LA fabricating the mask, but I wanted this like pagan thing, uh, you know, where there'd be that sort of animal masks, you know, that, that kind of, uh, you know, sort of back to nature sort of, yeah. uh, culty kind of thing. But I also wanted them to have this like cool silhouette so that if you saw them from afar, just in shadow, you would be scared. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it did its job. Did you keep any of that yeah. shit, by the way? Oh, I have them all, but one, ah! I, I gave uh, Rocco as one of uh, one of our our all uh, you know all purpose guys on set. Yeah, and he, he often stepped in to play you know, one of the lead bad guys. And so <laughs> I let him keep one of the masks. Oh, that's cool. Do you have oh, them set awesome. up? Are they set up somewhere? Are they in storage right now? Uh, well, they're, they're in my, uh, they're in, in, in my studio. They're not on the walls yet, but I, I have them all, you know, it's like waiting to see if we still, you know, we actually did a photo shoot for the poster where Rocco oh. wore all the different costumes. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeez. yeah, scout, you get some really nasty injuries early on. Talk about the practical effects. Were you wearing prosthetics in some of those close up scenes? In um, some of the close-up, um, I don't think we did. Yeah, we, yeah, with the foot. Oh, the foot. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. that's what you're meaning. I'm like, yeah. when did I wear prosthetics? <laughs> um, yeah, we did. That was like the one. Um, I remember Nolan when he was when he when he walked in after they set that on my foot. 
he was freaked out. He did not want to pull any of this stuff out. And I've, you know, I've, I've worked so much on, on this kind of genre stuff. So that stuff didn't, didn't phase me, but um, I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love watching them put that stuff together, you know, when they, because they can crank that out in like 10 to 10 minutes. It's like, usually like it's a last shot. Everyone's like, we need to get in. How, how long is it going to take? Two minutes. Cool. Great. Cause we need to be rolling in five, <laughs> you oh know? My God. Um, but yeah, so we, so we did use that, but we, um, we didn't use as much stuff as I'm normally used to using. What about the, your, the, the eye effect that you had? Was that contacts or was that digital? Oh, those are after? contacts. Yeah. And I couldn't see a bloody thing in those things. <laughs> this <laughs> so looked like, amazing though. Yeah, yeah. Literally somebody had to hold my hand as I walked around and, and place me on my mark and kind of tell me if I could move back or forward. I, I know I was a little bit nervous um, when we got to, well, I, I guess, oh, I guess you see in the trailer um, when we got to the ending and, and she has them in, yeah. I couldn't really see the gravel um, because I was also barefoot. Right. Oh so my God. Yeah. And snakes and alligators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that barefoot thing I was talking about. Yeah. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't see like not stepping on sharp, like rocks or anything. So I was trying to like, be able to see but um oh yeah th- we had someone come in and put them in and take them out yeah we I, had a professional i can't even put in just normal contacts i tried it at yeah. optometrist and they wouldn't let me leave if i couldn't take them out i couldn't take them out in glasses <laughs> well, forever yeah how are you going to take them out if you can't see anything <laughs> yeah, exactly right. you yeah. literally can't, i just like, can't uh, even normal contacts uh, i can't stick my yeah. fingers in my eye i just can't yeah. my eye just closes <laughs> instantly yeah. I, I also don't like wearing contacts. It's like the one thing that I do not like doing because mm. it makes me so nervous about taking them in and out. Yeah. So that, that was one thing that I was really nervous about. Is this the first project you've been in where you fly? No, I played Thistle on Charm. That's right. <laughs> That's we ain't funny. tried them before. What are you talking about? Come on, I was Thistle. <laughs> Is it Crane? How did they do it? How did they do it? Yeah, Rich, I guess you can explain that a little bit more of like the detail of what they did. I mean, you know, it, it, it's really, you know, when you see it, it seems so unremarkable. It's just like a big crane with a bunch of wires and we're just yanking her up off the ground. Yeah. I'm sorry. I felt pretty then, badass. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I, I had a, I had a moment where I felt really cool. It looked awesome. I love yeah, that arch back yeah. flying yeah. shit. With the white oh, yeah. Dude, I love yeah. that stuff. Dude, I, I love yeah. the, you know, the, the feet dragging and, and, and being able to like, like see My, it. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that freaks my brother out the most in movies is when people sort of uncontrollably levitate. And yes. so I was like, I have to put this in the movie because, it, you know, it'll freak him out. Yeah. It was so cool. <laughs> that was like a big, that was a big stunt day, you know, the harness and all that stuff and, you know, bracing everybody and, and making sure it works. And, you know, they kept on doing the, the levels of how they would drop me faster and faster and faster as each take went on. Um, so, I, I mean, I love doing that kind of stuff. I love doing stunts. Only my boyfriend's a stuntman. So, I mean, if I wasn't an, if I, you know, wasn't an actor, I probably would have trained to be, you know, do stunts for a living. Right, it's right, so right. fun to do that stuff. And so visually, fun. like I said, like Rich captures it so eloquently. And yeah. one of the other things, the cinematography in this film is breathtaking from the beginning with those amazing drone shots, just to the driving and everything, to... There's some really cool like camera rolls where you yes. do like a 90, I think a 90 degree, you do almost like a 360 at one point with Scout, we right? We do a 360, yeah. How do you, how the yeah. hell do you do that? 
<laughs> that's just a just a rig you know and, and we actually it was like we couldn't afford the really fancy uh sort of servo driven thing so it's got like big cranks on it, it looks like something out of you know nemo's submarine or something <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool you know but uh it was yeah uh, you know it's like you don't always need a ton of money to do uh, cool things. You know, it's just like, you got to be clever. So we tried doing things where we move the camera in interesting ways. And, you know, uh, like we had steady cam on, I think three or four days. And anytime I had steady cam, I would try to do like fancy shots, you know, like one long single takes through the house or something, you know. And those moments, do you just plan them all out? Are they all yeah. planned out in advance? Usually this is what I want it to look like. This is what we're going to do with it. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, like, cause when you're doing that, it's like, it's like a dance. So it's like the, you have the steady cam operator working with scout Nolan or scout or, you know, whomever's on camera at the time. And, and, you know, you want him to do, to move a certain way and they have to move a certain way and it all has to happen at the same time. Yeah, you know, like, like it just, it just takes some, a lot of coordination. And if you plan it out well in advance, you'll get a good result. Yeah. When, yeah. when is it that you know that you want to do that? Like with, with that camera angle, I remember when I came, when I'm looking under the bed and, and the camera goes, like, like how, like, when do you know that you want to do that? Like, when did you, like, that's what I want to do for that scene, for that reveal. Um, I'm always curious. Well, it's just like, I, you know, it, it, the, the sort of tilting camera stuff, like a lot of times it, it just kind of creates a, a kind of a dizzying kind of quality. And so it's like, you know, uh, like tilting the camera in weird ways like that, especially if it follows the actor. So it's like the actor stays in the same in the center of the frame and the room moves. It just mm-hmm. it's a subtle thing, but it creates a, a really cool psychological effect for the viewer. So it's oh. like, you know, it's just kind of picking the you don't want to do these things for no reason. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's always a problem. So it's like, you want to find the right places to do interesting things. It's powerful. All, yeah. Powerful. So powerful. I'm yeah. always picking his brain because I'm going to be directing this year. So I'm like, yeah. so rich. Um, when he, <laughs> It's going to happen this year. Doing? Scout. It's happening. that's awesome fuck yeah is this is this a project that you've written as well or just directing what are you gonna do it it is not something that i i've written it's a it's a director um that i i just worked with um on a movie called the chariot with john malkovich and um i just loved his writing so much and and i originally went out to him because i was like hey are you able to write a movie for me i have this idea and he was like well actually I have a script that needs a female director. He's like, would you want to do it? So I'm, I'm working right now on, on um, kind of rewriting a bit of the script. Um, Rich is actually one person I've let read it and, Amazing. and helping me on my journey. As his, his little baby is growing up. <laughs> Are you allowed to say if it's a horror film or not? It is in the genre. Oh, most nice. definitely it's in the genre. So, I mean, nice. obviously I had to do my first directing gig in the genre. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hey, if, you, if you need, if you need a bloody body, I volunteer as tribute. Hey. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll I was going to say, it's like scout. Do I get to play the lead? I know we're keeping you guys. Uh, just a couple more questions. And we'll let you go. I'm so sorry. You guys are just awesome yeah. to talk to a stupid question. A stupid question. When the movie opens up and we do see that drone shot of uh, Grace and and Jack driving down the street, how does it work when you shoot car interiors? Is the car always on a flatbed or being towed or is there any elements where you're actually driving and there's a camera person in the backseat? How does that work? might seem like a stupid ass question, but I've always been curious. 
all three things, you know, it's like you can put it on a flatbed and that way, you know, if you have long dialogue scenes, it helps with the sound and stuff like that. But in the beginning, it's like a montage for us. So it's like, it's like, it's, you know, there's music playing and it's, there's no dialogue. So we use what's called a hostess tray where you mount the camera outside the car looking in the window. Got it. And then you do it on both sides. And then for anything like looking ahead, we put the camera in the back seat and, and, you know, shoot looking, you know, like he puts his hand on her knee or something. We can pick that up. Okay. Yeah. I've always been curious. Yeah. It's a stupid question, but and it, it takes forever. It takes really? forever. Like, you oh, know, yeah. when you have a car fucking yeah. like, it's going to take until lunchtime. You're like, oh, yeah. right. God. You got to be super careful because your camera falls off that uh, car. It's like, you know, you're done. <laughs> have you yeah, been through that? Lot, there's a lot of moving parts to to doing a car scene. You you think it's easy, but it, it's like one of the hardest things and longest things to do is a car scene. Wow. Oh, my God. And they're usually just fleeting moments that you would yeah. be like. Yeah. yeah, dude, Rich, have you ever had a camera fall off the rig in a car seat? Not, not, no, no. Like we, we, we strap it on tight. I mean, it's like you know, we didn't, you know, if we, if we busted that camera, we were in a lot of trouble. Oh hell! I have, yeah. I have, I've really? been on a movie where the camera oh, fell off, and it was a very sad, sad day. Yeah. <laughs> we went to lunch early that day. Yeah, I can imagine, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I had to figure God. out what to do. I don't know what I, it was. It was crazy, and ne- that's never happened to me in my entire career. And it was actually kind of in the last like three years, so I'd never seen it before. Yeah, you've seen it all, Scout. And then, and back to Scout and, and talking about Nolan and the mm. chemistry that you guys had together. And I would imagine that there's a lot of trust involved in those performances you had together. What is it? You touched on a little bit before, but just generally, what is the dialogue like between you guys before filming? Do you let each other know roughly like what you're going to do or how far or intense you're going to play certain scenes so that the other is kind of prepared? Or do you like a bit of that not knowing what's going to happen? You know, I think Nolan and I just have like this unspoken thing. You know, we, we, we really do. And, and we, we, we know each other now really, really well, but I, I feel like with Nolan, he, he comes from such a, a, like a play background. And so do I, I, I grew up doing plays. So I feel like we just kind of find it as we go mm-hmm. and just feed off of each other's energy. And, and really it's like, I can predict what Nolan's going to do and vice versa. It's, interesting. Like he can predict me. it's so interesting. It's such a weird dance that Nolan and I have. Um, the only dance that, like I said prior in this in this interview, is the only dance that he was unaware of was my other part of me that I have deep inside. So I just kind of wanted to like let him know what yeah. was happening, and and then you know once he kind of figured out that that's like where I was going, he's he's so adapt adaptable. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of like the quality that you need to have with um, an actor, especially when it's like mainly them two in the entire film it's like you you have to be able to adapt with your actor and then he just kind of has that and and, and i think i have that understanding with him as well so it's really cool i mean I, I mean you know and 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 he takes direction really well and you know rich rich is also really trusting and 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 vice versa and i, I know i've said that a lot in this but if you if you have that trust with the director and a writer and and an actor to an actor, you're you know you're just going to make like a a magical project, anyways. 
I feel. And Rich, one more yeah. stupid ass movie question for me, <laughs> a film geek question. How do you do the animation on the phones? Is that green screen? Is that done afterwards? Or do you actually trigger oh. an- animations on some of the cell phones that's showing the sigils and things like that? Uh, well, you know, we, no, we, we, uh, we didn't have the plates for the phones while we were shooting, but yeah. we, we, I don't like doing the green screen stuff on the phones. I, I like keeping the, just keep them off. So sure. they're black and shiny. Yeah. Cause that way, when you composite the thing on, you can actually use the reflections to have it come through. Oh yeah. It looks more, way more realistic that way. It's actually a pretty, uh, of, of all the sort of digital effects you have to do, chance, you know, so that's, uh, you know, because we didn't have a huge budget for digital, like like VFX and post. So it's like I had, I had like only a handful of shots I could really do. You know, the phones obviously had to get done. Uh, <laughs> we needed those. That's great. That's great. Last question to you guys. Ghost House 2, is that coming? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because the, uh, the, the writer, Rob, I met him when we hired him to write Ghost House 2. So we actually have a Ghost House 2 script. We were actually doing pre-sales. It did very well internationally. So we were doing our international pre-sales and then the apocalypse happened, you know. And so it's been kind of on a back burner. And I then I did this movie and needed to finish this movie. But um, so, yes, there is a Ghost House 2 Floating around out there, yeah, oh, ready, ready to be made. Hell yeah, Scout! Have you read it? Yes, nice. I have nice. not read it. <laughs> <laughs> is Scout not in Ghost House too? She in it? Yeah, oh, she's dead. I've been recast. I've been She's dead. <laughs> she's a ghost. Well, we can't wait. We hope, man, we hope that happens. And then Scout, you said you're directing. You're going to be directing this year, and um, you've got this podcast. Briefly hit up the podcast. I know you're going to come back and talk all about it with Danielle. But bl- plug the podcast. Yes, it's a podcast all about sex, love, and horror, and now true crime. Right, I noticed that. <laughs> it all goes together, though. It's so yes. nuts. I just did some recording today, and it's so nuts. The topics that we'll go to with like masturbation to like uh, to like child child um, endangerment to like uh, a true crime like murder case. It's nuts. It's like whoa! It's like a roller coaster. But it's it's just a it's it's just a fun fun outlet, man. And and Danielle and I have such a great time. So I'm glad that audience members are loving it. And it's just growing and growing and growing with every episode. So we're stoked about it. Rich Scout, always a pleasure. And congratulations yes. on this movie. It's amazing to see you guys working yeah. together again. And we can't wait to see more of it. Hopefully with Ghost House Two and possibly Long Night Two. Let's hope. Let's hope <laughs> and pray. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everyone can see it February fourth. Thank you guys so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 296. Special thanks to our guests, Rich Ragsdale and Scout Taylor Compton. Follow them at Under the Sea Scout and at Rich Ragsdale on Instagram. The time of release, their new film, The Long Night, is available in select theaters and digital Friday, February 4th. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. This is Trev from the Boo Crew. Till next time, saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand. And Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced. 
Produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.